in a world where literature is dominated by dusty leather-bound books with no pictures. Three men dare to venture to their local comic shop to approach the counter and utter those three magic words. Make mine paperback. Welcome in and welcome back to Make Mine Paperback. It's a podcast about comic books. I'm Graham. I don't know. You got you got a good one for me th- this week, guys. I mean, what are we talking about? Golden Age. Here? Giggly, let's say uh, Graham giggles Giles. I like it. Let's say stay golden, comics boy Giles. I like um, that that's one. what we're going with. <laughs> and joining me as Graham always, Giles. Golden Graham Giles. There it is. I figured it out. It's done. That's this, it forever. This has gone from an intro to basically a cold open. Anyway, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> I'm joined as always <laughs> by our master of Marvel, Alex Shear. Say something, Alex. <laughs> Say something, Alex. Okay, that's more than anyway. Um, and our DC daddy, our DC daddy is Stephen Shear. Say something, Stephen. Howdy, listeners. Howdy, listeners. This week we are continuing our theme for the month of November. Our theme for the month of November: Golden Age comic books. Today we have Stephen's book on the theme. Stephen's final book on the theme. Uh, Stephen, what are we talking about this week? Well, Graham, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, this week we're covering Tales from the Crypt, number 23 from Entertaining Comics, which collects Reflections of Death by Al Feldstein, Last Respects by Graham Ingalls, Seance by Jack Davis, and Voodoo Death by Johnny Craig. Uh, Tales from the Crypt was an American bi-monthly horror comic anthology series published by EC Comics from 1950 to 1955. Producing 27 issues, Tales from the Crypt was popular, but in the late 1940s and early 1950s, comic books came under attack from parents, clergymen, school teachers, and others who believed the books contributed to illiteracy and juvenile delinquency. In April and June of 1954, highly publicized congressional subcommittee hearings on the effects of comic books upon children left the industry shaken. With the subsequent imposition of highly restrictive comics code, EC publisher Bill Gaines canceled Tales from the Crypt and two companion horror titles, along with the company's remaining crime and science fiction series in September 1954. So basically, we are reading the book, one of the books that is almost entirely responsible for Comics Code's authority, um, which I'm really excited about. But before we get to that... Read. What'd you read this week, Alex? About time you got that right this week. <laughs> um, wow. What'd you burn? <laughs> Even when I get it right, Alex criticizes me. (laughs) Uh, No, this week, so since we've been like in the golden age and all that jazz, um, and all that jazz, anyway. um, I don't have that drop. (laughs) We, uh, (laughs) uh, I I took a look at uh, some old school Batman. Um, I actually specifically got a book called Batman the War Years, um, and it, collects like 20 batman comics from 1939 to 1945 that's pretty cool um obviously the war years um and it's it it was really cool i mean some you know a a common theme that you see in comics from you know that era a lot of you know fighting over in you know germany or fighting like nazis in general so it was kind of cool to see batman punching nazis um but also like robin like also getting like kidnapped and whatever by nazis like so it was just it was it was like really cool just to kind of see different different art styles um obviously very very reminiscent of the the 
or I guess you could say that the TV show from the 60s was very reminiscent of this art style. Like, the costumes and everything were very similar to it. So I, I immediately heard Adam West speaking <laughs> while I was reading these comics. He's got so such a good voice. That, it's hard not to. Yeah, well, exactly. You know, I, I always liked that show anyway. Like, that, that old-school Batman you know, run with the bomb and, you know, the shark repellent and all that jazz. So that was, that was always fun. Um, and, and that's what I grew up on, you know, like reruns of that. That was something dad and I kind of watched together. So I always, I always really liked it. So getting to hear Adam West through these, through these comics was, uh, was kind of cool. So. Yeah. And RIP Adam West and RIP Kevin Conroy. We're losing all of our voices of Batman. Oh yeah. I forgot about those. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Batman animated series. Yeah. That was sad. I may or may not have started rewatching the animated series this weekend solely because of that. It's a it well. If you guys really haven't, you, if you guys it, haven't. It's, um, it's stood the uh, test of time too. Mm-hmm. That show has. It's, well, it's got some adult old. themes in it too. For like when you know watching it as a kid versus watching it as an adult, it's like almost watching two different shows. You pick up on yeah. way more. And quite mm-hmm. a few guys, if, if you guys are interested in, uh, and by you guys, I mean you in the audience, <laughs> if you're interested hey, you in, uh, in, in kind of running down some of the adult themes in Batman the Animated Series, there's uh, several good YouTube videos that I've seen on it. So uh, go ahead and check that out. Um, cool. That being said, uh, Kevin Conroy, the, um, if you haven't read his piece in the most recent DC Pride issue, um, you should read that. It was a beautiful piece. Um, and uh, and really, a sad uh, a loss for the the comics community and the and the superhero community at large. Yeah, not about no, that. It's, uh, I'll have to check that out. But uh, moving on from what I read, uh, what did you guys read this week? Starting with you, Graham. Well, this week I read uh, obviously our book for the week. I finally finished. Um, I I've been kind of slowly working my way through. Um, the the three big volumes. Um, I'm not sure if they if they're calling them omnibuses or, or what they call them for Sandman, uh, but I finally finished um, my my first big volume um, that I have. So I, I finished a little bit of Sandman, uh, and then this week three books uh, came out that were on my pull list, and so uh, I've been keeping up on Nightwing, which uh, this week was pretty cool. We got to meet Nightmite which is exactly what it sounds like. It's a fifth dimensional imp, uh, similar to Batmite, but it is, um, you know, Nightwing's Batmite. So that's pretty cool. Uh, and like, like kind of a really cool imp where normally we end up with, uh, these fifth dimensional imps who are like, like we're, you know, used to Superman's Mixus Pitalik, who is kind of mm-hmm. super annoying. Yeah. Um, and, and Batmite, who is even more so annoying. This, uh, this Nightmite is, I, I don't know. I, I can I can take him. He's he's not a bad dude. And the way Nightwing treats him, I think it's kind of a cool kind of a cool dynamic in that book. Uh so Nightwing came out. Um I, I talked to a few weeks ago about Wind. I got I got caught up on that and so the the new issue of Wind came out this week. It's going cool places. Uh and then finally and I think most exciting, um I Hate Fairyland is back. So there's a, a Scotty Young is kind of rebooting I hate Fairyland. We've got an adult Gert, and uh, she is uh, being asked by a, a rich, a rich guy, um, kind of a, an Elon Musk type fella, <laughs> um, is uh, is asking her to return to Fairyland, a place that everyone in her life has been trying to convince her was not real uh, since she returned. So um, 
now we've got this rich guy who's trying to convince her to go back to fairyland to save his son it's it was a great first issue and if you haven't there's a uh there's kind of a a companion piece um tales from fairyland or something like that uh, I, I can't remember the title exactly but uh, it came out that kind of hinted that we were going to be going back to fairyland and so this is the first issue back it was pretty cool yeah i was, I was gonna say i actually did read that as well um <laughs> yeah uh what do you think of the the next of the, the I hate Fairyland reboot? Well, have you read the uh, like the 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 whatever the tales from Fairyland that that no, I series? Didn't know that was a thing. I'm after making note of that. So it came out kind of. I didn't know it was a thing either until I I heard about the the you know like reboot of uh, I hate Fairyland coming out, and I went back to look at Scotty Young's work, and sure enough, there's the series. Um, and most of it was it's stories in fairyland written by other people not scotty young Uh, and so it was like scotty young letting other artists and writers kind of play in his sandbox Uh, but the last two issues of it we see um, kind of fourth wall breaking gert come and confront scotty young uh, because she walks into a comic shop and sees her comic uh, like the comic about her life sitting on the shelf and so then she goes and confronts Scotty Young about like, hey, what are you doing? Send me back. And so that's kind of leads into this new story that we're uh, that we're experiencing. Okay. Um, so I've been uh, I was I was excited about that. And so far, the first issue, I'm kind of kind of excited with, although we haven't really seen any fairyland yet. No, so. I was just going to say, I, like I asked that question. I was like, uh, there's really not much to go on yet, but yeah. it does seem like it's going to keep going in the same spirit, at least. Yeah, yeah. We um over here in West Michigan got just blasted with snow, so I didn't leave the house from uh, Thursday to Sunday. So I I get tons <laughs> of reading. Uh, I actually went on that League of was it the League of Comic Geeks, and that's how I found I yep. Fairyland was being rebooted because I had no idea that it was coming back. So I saw that and I was like, well, I got to read that. And then I also read the was it the fifth issue of Eight Billion Genies. You know, I figured we oh, read. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, we got uh, four four issues through, so I just wanted to see how that one ends. Um, yeah, and how about that? We just hit eight billion people the other day. What last week? Yeah. we officially hit eight billion people on the planet. So uh, still don't yeah. have a genie yet. <laughs> Waiting for <laughs> I know. it. I've been looking around, looking around for yeah. it. <laughs> just waiting. Yeah, that one was. It's possible though. Just like the last person's wish was, I want everyone to forget about the wishes. Um, wow. And if that's the case, then how would we know? mind-blowing you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so i did read that i read yeah i hate fairyland i read um some more of the invisibles from from grant morrison and um oh yeah ice cream man i read quite a bit of ice cream man oh, there to you get go. ready for uh <laughs> for what we're, re- we're about to talk about um yeah i just i really love the horror anthology genre and in general you know i kind of just realized in in recommending tale from the crypt that's kind of these are kind of the stories i grew up on i mean twilight zone outer limits um then the tales from the crypt tv show was kind of goofy i mean it was almost like a comedy slash horror but um i grew up on all that stuff so the ice cream man the the last few issues um i thought were just as good as ever um that, that series is so good the ice cream man that one might be one of my favorite it's probably like one of my favorite non-superhero stories but well, the, the art style in it is so cool it's so creepy without being like like this tales from the crypt we're going to talk about the art but yeah. um it's not that 
but still the art in uh, in ice cream man makes me feel more consistently creeped out than even the art from uh, from yeah. this book yeah so uh, yeah i think it's great yep yeah so uh yeah let's get into it then speaking of uh books that make us uh, right speak speaking of horror anthologies yeah let's this that's is a perfect uh, segue let's uh let's go right into <laughs> what's widely yeah, well, considered oh, i didn't mean to cut you off you were gonna say something there but <laughs> oh oh no you're good it's just one of the first Se- horror segue anthologies, right let's segue, segue there Steven. Seg right away into uh <laughs> into tales from the crypt which is widely considered to be one of the first of the horror and i'm not gonna try to say horror anthology too much i'm gonna try to think of some synonyms here eventually but this is widely considered to be one of the first in the genre of horror anthology which we say horror anthology it's they're they're loosely connected stories that don't really have anything to do with each other but they do kind of blend together well and the important thing with horror anthologies is they're not always supposed to be you know like modern scary like you know gory and violent and you know, like make you jump jump scares. Like horror anthologies, a lot of times are like psychologically thrilling, just as much as they are, um, you know, supposed to be like actually scary. They're supposed to be just as psychologically thrilling. So, um, Tales from the Crypt, yeah, was was like the first one in the in this genre, which is probably the reason why it was just so scary. Because I don't know about you guys, but nothing in this book really, to me, was that scary. <laughs> I mean, no, no, it wasn't. No, not at all. <laughs> it was more funny than scary. Yeah, like I don't know. It's just I know it's hard to judge because it's you know seventy years later. But I just I can't understand how even in the nineteen fifties something like this would come out and, and you know parents would ban it from their kids and to the point where there was book burnings and um, you know yeah. like people saying we need to censor this. You know I, I just <laughs> you know I'm trying to you know put myself in that time timeline and it just it still to me is not i just can't believe it was that scary ever <clears throat> but um yeah so let's get into it so the first one is uh um was first one was reflection of death which to me the coolest one about this book was that it was told in second person i don't i don't think we really get a lot of second person points of view in comic books ever where it's like you know it's trying to like yeah everything is you yeah Yeah. like you're doing this and like it's trying to like put you in the situation by you know referring to you as the the subject so i thought that that would that was at least interesting and kind of reading through those words it it does i mean even though the art doesn't necessarily take you there they do enough with the motion lines and enough with those words about the you stare through the windshield and the road comes out of the darkness with you and slides beneath the car and you're kind of there i mean you're not you're not all the way there but you're kind of there in it it's descriptive yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, which is it's kind of I feel like kind of this book was a lot of reading. Like this issue was a ton of reading. And I don't know if that's just because they thought that would be the best format or you know, it to me it just seemed like some of the artwork didn't quite show you like Graham said, it didn't quite get you there. So I feel like some of the you know, the script was necessary to kind of impart what they were trying to trying to tell you because I just like I said, the artwork just really didn't get you there. Um, but yeah, I mean the art, the the artwork just kind of it, it was one of those things. It's it, it was fine enough, but yeah, I mean, you, I think in this one, you know, we've we've talked about this ad nauseum, how much you know the artwork and the the words go hand in hand. I felt like because the artwork wasn't so spectacular, the words did a lot more carrying. But I didn't feel like I, I felt like the artwork kind of 
was a it was a compliment to the descriptors. I didn't feel like it was it was I mean yes there's there's an imbalance and I think the 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 words do a lot more for the story but I didn't feel like it was like man this could have really used more art. I felt like there was a nice balance there. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um so kind of reflection of death just a quick quick little recap even though everybody read. So in this book it's you know they're they're driving you know just just down a road after a new year's eve party and um he envisions an accident like has a premonition of of a car accident and um you know he thinks that you know he's not really sure because he's thrown from the car he's not sure and he can't find the wreckage but you know he's pretty sure that you know apparently he lived you know because he's out he's around walking but then when he goes to you know do anything in life like he tries to talk to people and they're terrified of him you know he tries to talk to a hobo and, and he's terrified and you know everybody's scared of him his house is foreclosed and so then we learn that's right that. he comes up on a woman to ask her for a ride and yeah. she's she's passes out <laughs> and then he steals her car yep, yep. <laughs> Which, like, he's like he's like why does everybody scared of me i'm not a bad guy but you're robbing people so I, maybe you are a bad guy <laughs> you might be a bad guy if yeah yeah and so then he wakes up and um <clears throat> he's still in the car he's like oh man it's just a bad dream or was it because then, uh, of course, he gets in a car accident and actually dies this time. Which, so, I don't I, I think this story would have been way better if it had ended at that panel, right? Like, there, there's the one where he's like, you, uh, he's like, thank God, thank God. He's like, what for? He's like, my nightmare. I dreamed it was real. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And they're talking about it. And he goes, we'll be home soon, Al. And if that next one you stare at, he says, Carl, you, that car. And that's the end. Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah, what happens? <laughs> but but then when you actually see it happen again, you're like, oh, you guys just got lazy and wanted to use the same art for, you know, three pages in this book. <laughs> yeah, I kind of think, yeah, they definitely made a mistake there. They should have just had him die again or, you know, like have the accident and then you can decide from there. Um, just because to me, it's like this, the, with the thing with like some of these like some of them like like ice cream man will like teach you a moral even the twilight zone will do that um i feel like a lot of these some of them will teach you kind of like a lesson but to me it's like this one all i could think of is like final destination where somebody has a premonition and then the things actually start coming true so it's like to me it's just like you can see where future writers drew this drew from this as like a you know like a reference well you can kind of get this as like this is this is what's going to happen like you can't change the future so he he has this dream he wakes up from the dream and you think like oh great now he can prevent the car but he doesn't it just happens again so there's something about that like you you just need to accept your destiny sometimes Uh, there's kind of a lesson in there yeah i think you're right though if if this had hit a lesson a little bit harder i don't know that it would have been quite as cheesy because like if there's actually a lesson then it's not quite as bad whereas this one it seems like the lesson is you can't escape death, which yeah, I think we knew before we started reading yeah. it. Like I don't know that anybody was like I'm living forever, and then you read this know. comic I I and you just immediately forever. went no. <laughs> um, did did this comic change your opinion, Alex? Do you still think you're going to live forever, or you're pretty convinced you're not anymore? Mortality now. Of course, I'm gonna live forever. I don't know what you guys are going on about. Okay, so so the comic didn't work. <laughs> no. I, I kind of like your idea though, Graham. I feel like if well. This one, you know, it's four stories in one again, so they're a little bit short. But I feel like if they had a chance to actually write the story how it should be, I think, yeah, I think what would happen is, like, he would 
you know, maybe die again, do that thing where he, like, wakes up and realizes he's dead, and then wake up in the car again and be like, oh, man, it was just a dream. And then, like, by the third time it happens, he's like, wait a minute, and then try to prevent it and still have it happen again. I think, like, maybe, like, yeah. getting him in a cycle where he tries to prevent it, but it just keeps happening. I think that that would have been the ending. I think it makes the story a little bit scarier, too, if you do that. Whereas, if you just do it twice, it seems like he just had a premonition and then things happened. But if he's stuck in this cycle forever... For the rest of forever, he's stuck in the cycle of waking up from a nightmare and getting into a car crash. How terrifying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But but you can see how a lot of these were, you know, it's not the first book to try to scare people, but you can see how a lot of these concepts did get carried forward into other media. I mean, this one in particular, the reason I picked issue 23 is because a few of these issues... Um, like uh even reflections of death like when i read it like when i read the description i was like oh man this this comic's gonna be terrifying because you know like the the people online said this is one of those stories that's been you know transferred to other media like other artists have had their twist on it you know and and like this is like an enduring story and so like that's why i picked this issue 23 because i had a few of these on there but i don't know Mm -hmm. this one to me it was good but um reflections of death was you know could have been better I thought so, so. Of the four, Reflections of Death is is my third um, out of four. Uh, so I know the. Um, I feel like everybody's gonna have the same favorite because one of these books is like a clear standout. Reflections of Death was my fourth. That really, oh, it was your, it was your yeah. fourth. It, it was my third. Um, but we can we can do the, that uh, real quick. I mean, we can we can rank it real quick. I was gonna save that for the end, but for me, it was. Number one is Seance, then which yeah. then um the one was it Last Respects, yeah. Last Respects, Reflections of Death, and then Voodoo Death. Yeah, Voodoo Death yeah. was number three for me. So I have almost that, that same order as you, Steven, except I swapped number one and number two. I really like like the the big the big twist, I guess, <laughs> in Seance. That one I think works but so well. I love that one. <laughs> I, I do I, mean, I think it, that story it, works it really well. I just I just kind of like like I don't think Witch's Cauldron is told that well, but I it was my favorite. I don't know reading through it. There's something about it where you like the story itself. It got me. It was like an like, ice cream. I, man I really liked story it. Where it's like because that's the thing about horror anthologies is that or I'm gonna try to stop saying that. That's the thing about you know creepy <laughs> these shows that these books that try to like creep you out like Ice Cream Man is like they're not always scary. Like yeah, Witch's Cauldron was just like a, a well written story or last. Resp- yeah, last respect is the name. Sorry, it's oh yeah, Witch's Cauldron is the, the is the like the segment, and the last respects is the story. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. So let's get into that one then. We'll uh, we'll talk about uh, some last respects. So um, so in this one we've got um, a classic story of uh, love that can't work out because there's the you know the poor guy who's the kind of like the he does a lot of stuff i think for for this family he's the chauffeur and groundskeeper and then um so he's in love with the girl who's what's her i can't remember what her name is oh anna her name is anna yeah anna yeah. and she's got you know an evil uncle who you know thinks she should only marry people of a certain class who this guy does not i think his name's jack maybe I don't know. Um, his name is Tony. Tony. It's, Jack's it's the bad name, guy. Yeah. So Jack's the bad guy. Tony's the good guy. So yeah, Tony is in love with somebody that, you know, actually is married to Anna, but has to hide it because the uncle is, um, doesn't think he's good enough for her. And um, so 
<clears throat> so Tony one night is, you know, he's out looking for her grave so he can pay his, his respects. And, you know, he finally finds that he doesn't even know where she's buried because he wasn't allowed at the funeral. So his wife dies and he's not allowed at the funeral because the uncle's so mean. And so he finally eventually finds the mausoleum. And so he's paying his respects. And so we learn during this time while he's paying the respects in the mausoleum, we, we hear their story. And um, basically Jack is the uncle is responsible for his death because he forbid her from seeing him. And she had, you know, died of a broken heart situation. So Jack. Yeah, it's, I mean, but what originally happened? She's she's out in the rain, mm-hmm. and she like, I mean, like all of these stories. Anytime somebody goes out in the rain, they catch pneumonia. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, so that was a cop. Well, to, to to add to that, there's a, there's a reason for that, and I can kind of explain this. You you, you know, what, what's the first thing people say you're 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 gonna do when you go out in the rain and it's cold? Oh, you're gonna get sick. You're gonna catch pneumonia. That is that is something that I grew up hearing. Well, you know, I, I put on your jacket when you go out in the rain. You're gonna catch. Yeah, you're gonna catch cold. You're gonna catch pneumonia. You're gonna get sick. Mm-hmm. So like that was just a popular thing for that time. I mean, you know, because well, I would hear that from saying, my grandmother. As you're saying, it's a popular thing now too. It's it's not it's not just a, a thing for the time. It's it's sure. It's but been that, popular for but, a long time, and it probably. I was hoping you had some. It came from something like you knew that pneumonia was more prevalent back then or something because uh, I mean, I've never no, heard that what, I don't know what, but what like, that is. I, I mean, I'm just obviously I'm just referring to like what my grandparents said, you know, while I was growing up like that was that was common yeah. to hear from my grandparents more so than mom or dad. It's like, oh, you're going to get sick. My grandparents, you're going to catch cold. You're going to catch pneumonia. I remember yeah. hearing that. As and obviously, an eight, nine, we do know like there is something to that. It's not that like the cold makes you sick. It's that the cold can make your body focus on things other than its own immunodefense, which then can make you more susceptible to dis- to disease. Um, but but like anything else, you would still need to catch pneumonia from something. It's not like there's pneumonia in the rain. <laughs> sure, um, sure. So, <laughs> Are you sure about that? I just I do remember. But it's though. it's hilarious. Like this. I mean, I, I get it. We kind of see a little bit how this house is set up. And so it's it looks like maybe it's a, a long driveway or something. But this woman, I mean, maximum, she runs 100 yards in the rain. Mm-hmm. Like, like mm-hmm. I, again, it's, it's like a football field. She crosses in the rain. And she's, I mean, granted, she's soaking wet. But then she immediately, she gets pneumonia. And then uh, and then her uncle won't let Tony visit. So she dies. Yep. It's like the worst decision she's ever made is going out in the rain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do remember as a kid being afraid of not wearing a coat when it was raining. So you would <laughs> they did that was like something, at least in my in my family. They really beat into you. I mean, I there's no way I'd be in the rain without a coat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um Yeah, so uh Um like Graham said, so she does she catches pneumonia and then she never gets any better because uh, she can't see her husband and her, you know, so she, she does eventually die and we can, assume, you know, could be pneumonia, but the, the comic kind of wants you to believe that, uh, the uncle is the one that killed him. Um, mm. you know, and the reason that's well, important. Well, we, we get this big thing first that they're, so they, we, we see them first. They start out at this carnival, they're on a date, but we find out that they're married. Um, and she's like, can't we just tell my uncle? And he's like, no, you can't tell your uncle. Don't you remember that you're underage? And we're just supposed to get over that. Oh, like, yeah. Clearly, we're supposed to <laughs> yeah. be rooting for Tony and Anna. Yeah. But we know Anna's underage. Yeah. <laughs> and they're not like, 
they're not like oh no they're not shy about if your it uncle finds out if your uncle finds out that you know we're married and that you're underage then you know people are going to know that i'm married to an underage girl no he's going if your uncle finds out that you're underage well your uncle knows you're underage if he finds out we're married he's going to get the marriage annulled because you're underage and then what? We're going to have to, like, go through this whole thing again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did kind of glaze over that part. That part was, I was like, oh, man. And I was just like. Was like yeah, like, like our, our, even our hero is not so much a hero. No. I just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I read that in there. I was like, why did I have to include that? But, yeah, so <laughs> I don't know if it was, like, shock value or just, I don't know. I feel like back in back in the day people were marrying way younger. I mean, I don't think he lived as long, but this is the, just the 1950s. Um, hey, it's okay because we're in the fifties, so you can marry a lot younger. Because yeah, you're not gonna, you're gonna well, live till you're fifty, not yeah. till you're seventy. So it's okay. Well, and the way they imply this, right? Anna dies, then the uncle has their marriage annulled. Like so, so Anna dies, the uncle has the marriage annulled, then they have the funeral. <laughs> yeah, which <laughs> is that important? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I feel like it's. I mean, then she he doesn't get an inheritance or anything. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. I guess the um, yeah. So, it's just, but obviously he's not allowed to go to the funeral. Mm-hmm. So now, now we get like caught up to the beginning where he's wandering through the the graveyard. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those stories though that starts with him wandering through the graveyard, and then they, then they show you his story, and then, so then we learn about you know Jack or Tony Anna and the uncle, and um, yes, yeah, so and then we're back in the mausoleum where uh. He gets uh, stuck in the where the Tony then gets stuck in the mausoleum, and <laughs> he that he has a brutal death. It's not just like you know he you know dies after you know like a week or something well, he, of he's, you know he's he know he knows the water is like slowly coming in under the door. So first you're like, is he gonna drown? But no, it just like water kind of leaks under the door. Which was disappointing. Is frankly the big well, thing though I, is that he confesses to dead Anna that he has killed the uncle. So like before he enters the mausoleum. Tony kills the uncle dead. So Anna's dead, pneumonia. Uncle's dead, Tony. Now Tony locked in the mausoleum. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and that's why I was frustrated with this one because it's you, you were you were almost kind of hoping that he was going to die from like drowning in the mausoleum. That's <laughs> no, like kind of what you Yeah, like, <laughs> like uh, you a know, month you were just something. kind of hoping for that. <laughs> well, because... And it doesn't happen and it's just like eh you just I just felt let down a little bit. I don't know. I love this ending. I, I like mean like it, it's too. it's so like horrific that I love it. And so yeah. the uh, if you don't mind, I'll go ahead and take it here. The uh, Hey, it's your, it's your the, ending, man. Yeah. Well, not your ending, so, it's the author's ending. Let's hope it's not you your can ending. Have this ending. <laughs> so so he's locked in the mausoleum. He's banging on the door. He's banging on the door, banging on the door, and the bangs keep getting weaker and weaker as he's getting weaker and weaker. Nobody even goes near that part of the cemetery because you know it, it's a big cemetery i guess i don't know uh, <laughs> except for one lonely tramp who gets scared because he hears banging from the mausoleum <laughs> he so he's like must be a vampire <laughs> run away <laughs> so so he doesn't get saved there so nobody finds him until it, it's like a month later the day and they say it's the day after his death just to make it even more tragic like if he could have lasted one more day then they would have saved him but they come in and they find the chauffeur that they've been looking for, probably because they know he killed the uncle. Mm-hmm. So they finally found him and they're like, look at him. He's dead. But what's all around him? Like, it's it's his body. But there's also all of these bones. 
all around him. <laughs> and they find this urn. So he's been collecting water in an urn to drink. And he's been eating his dead wife yep. in order yeah. to survive. And he's he finally ran out of food and, and died. Um, and, I'll starve yeah, to so death. It, it, so it wasn't <laughs> even worth it. Well, he's still starved to death. Exactly. I know. He's, well, like, yeah, he, just his complaint he about ate it. ate his like, wife. He ate his wife and still starved to death. And like that's that's what I love about. I, I mean, I don't love it, but I love it. It's so well, it's, it's so tragic. Horror ending, yeah. It's like a proper yeah. ending because like, it's like poetic because it's like you know like the trifecta of death. I mean, the uncle kills Anna, Anna inadvertently kills Tony, Tony kills the uncle. So it's like it's got that, and then like yeah, the oh way. yeah, but like, but like it's, I also I mean, love it's, the it's, twist it's, there where they, where they're like he didn't die of starvation. He died because of all the formaldehyde. all the formaldehyde in her. Yeah, like, and that's, but that's what got me. Is like, that's what I'm like. I, I, I get it. I don't think it's a bad ending, but it's like, you hope he dies a different way. That's just me. You know, you guys can love the ending. I was just a little like, eh. Well, I just like that it never, it never lets you off the hook. Yeah. You're never going like, well, at least. Yeah, no. it kept you entertained the whole time that's for sure. Like, the whole time, you're, like, the only person in this story who could even, like, be considered good is Anna. Um, and so, and she dies of pneumonia. She makes, really, no wrong decision other than walking through the rain, and she dies of pneumonia. <laughs> terrible. Pneumonia and a broken heart. Terrible. The uncle, obviously, crotchety old miser, just, just a bad guy. So, when he gets murdered by Tony, yeah, not great, but we can see where Tony's coming from. Yeah, and then Tony marries the underage girl, murders the uncle, and then gets locked in this mausoleum. Basically, gets what he deserves. Honestly, I mean, I, 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 we know Anna loved Tony, so maybe we should love Tony a little bit more. But he killed a man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he killed a man. He married an underage girl, and then he ate her. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this this one. I feel like this was a proper story from, you know, proper horror story from beginning to end. Um, yeah, this one was this one was very well done. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, this one was uh, definitely you can see where you know again it laid the seeds for some some future stories. Uh, oh, I forgot about the little. I forgot there's that little bonus little short story. story yeah, here. I mean, I yeah. don't I don't really have a lot to say about this one. It's uh, you know, just a classic. It honestly. It honestly two, wasn't very two, good. No, it, the it was, panels. Yeah, it wasn't. It was just literally saying like, "Oh yeah, these people are scared of a vampire." Okay, let's take care of it, and then he kills the vampire. Yeah, and then uh, <clears throat> what is it? He's like guarding the tomb. Yeah, or yeah. Vatya is he's 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 held like he come from a family of vampire hunters, mm-hmm. and so when the village has a vampire problem, they call him, yep. and he's like, "Okay, guys." Now that we caught the vampire, this is the way we have to kill it. And the oh, elders tell the him, steps, yeah. no, we we just want to go with the second step. Just burn him to death. We want to get this over with. We want to show the village everything's safe. And he's like, okay, I guess we'll just skip steps. And so he skips a bunch of steps because apparently he's young. But he still thinks this vampire is probably still alive. So he's guarding the grave, and then he gets killed by the vampire. Uh-huh. And the well, village elders yeah. come... Well, the village elders come by the next day, and they're like, oh, oh, no. Clearly, Vatya's, he's dead, but the dead vampire is also still in the grave, surrounded by a pool of blood. 
And so, mm-hmm. like, we're let we're left to assume that the vampire is slowly going to regain strength or something. I, I don't. I know that's that's what it was to me. It wasn't enough mystery because, like, my notes like, do you think the vampire killed Vacha? And it's like, well, I mean, we can only assume it's the case. But then, like, they have the vampire still in the bottom of the tomb. But it's like. It doesn't go on long enough to make it mysterious. Like, it just ends there. And it's like, if it had gone on a little bit longer, you know, maybe if there's more of these hor- horrific deaths or something. And so, I don't know. It's just, yeah. It was just too short to be entertaining at all. So, mm-hmm. we, yeah. I mean, there's really yeah. not much to talk about that when you covered it. <laughs> so, let's, uh, let's just move right along then to Seance, which is my personal favorite. Um, this one also good. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. this one. This one was the best one. <laughs> This one is, uh, it's probably, well, it's not, it's not probably, it's definitely not the first case of a monkey's paw situation, but it's definitely one of the earlier in terms of, like, American pop culture, uh, just because this, this this book is so old that, you know, a lot of, a lot of the people that wrote scary stories after drew from Tales of the Crypt as reference. So in this one, I mean, it's a monkey's paw situation, but um, so kind of the, the point of this one is, so there's an accountant, you know, what a loser, whose wife is uh, really bad with money, and she keeps saying seeing the psychic, and so then one day the accountant's boss is over, and he's going to ask him for a raise to pay for all these, like, seance trips, and then the boss is like, well, that's, like, absolutely ridiculous, you're not getting a raise, so your wife can do these ridiculous, you know, you know, these fun little psychic visits that mean nothing and so uh yeah <laughs> so the wife well is i love the, the guy freaking out he he's freaking out he's like oh my gosh my my wife is late i'm so sorry about that and the boss is like no biggie i'll give you the raise tomorrow don't worry about yeah. it yeah and then when he finds out where the wife has been well like, then nope. no raise for you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh and um so at, at first that the wife's I don't know if we even know her name. I don't know. There's so many names in this. So anyway, the wife of the, you know, the main character, the accountant, is, uh, you know, kind of recanting her stories. But so far, all we know is that, you know, people, these people have heard voices. We haven't actually seen anybody risen from the dead. So all we've seen so far are, are these voices um, so far, except, uh, you know, at the most recent visit is, um, you know, when they're all sitting around and one of the... So they're in a seance, which I'm assuming everybody knows, everybody listening knows what a seance is. So it's when you like get together around a table and hold hands and burn candles and try to talk to the dead or make the dead. Wow. Way to oversimplify that. So (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You have anything to add to that? (laughs) Um, You have to burn a specific kind of candle. I don't know what kind of candle, but you know, Yankee candles only. Really no, not from Yankee candles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I mean, no. I think I think it's what I thought was cool about this one, and I know that you're kind of doing the descriptors of it. But what I thought was cool of it, about it was, you mentioned kind of the stereotypes about, you know, um, whatever it is. I, for me, I think it, I think it's really cool that we, we're still seeing, even back then, just how skeptical people were. Mm-hmm. yeah you know that that's what i that's what i thought was uh really interesting and guys like oh this stuff doesn't work you know and it's so i for for years and years and years like you know interpreters gypsies you know things like seances have always been like frowned upon and like mocked and scoffed at and it's cool to see that kind of personified a little bit in the comics solely for the purpose of realism 
and I think that that I think that that's an important bit to this to this specific comic. Well, what's great about this is that this is a as you said this is a horror anthology, and so what happens is when we have these stories combine, the only thing that can make them scarier, uh, well, one thing that could make them scarier is if you actually believe that these you know supernatural forces exist, and so. By throwing this in there, it's it's a good story on its own, but it's an even better story when told in conjunction with these other stories, because now you're telling people like, look what happens when you don't believe. Yeah, you better start believing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so uh, so yeah, that's what we get. So yeah, first you know she's like, oh yeah, and, you know we're we're you know talking to the voices of the dead, but then we finally get to see, and this is. This piece of artwork, I have to imagine, is one of the reasons why this book was considered so scary, uh, because one of the the commonly cited reasons was the artwork. And so then one of the when she's at one of her stories or one of her seances, you know, the one that makes her late is uh, is because one of the people there raised the their dead son who died in war. And so, at, like at first, you know, we we get to hear the voices, and then he materializes, and you see him kind of appear as a person, but then they focus in on his face, and you see like his half his head is missing, and his eyeballs hanging out of his head, and so it's just again, it's like a monkey paw situation because like she just wants his her son back, but you know he's also been horribly mangled in the war and doesn't want to be back, so there's um, so that's why uh, and that's that's pretty consistent too. We see everybody who they call in this seance is saying like, just, just leave me be. I'm at peace over here. You move on with your life. Um, which I think is kind of a refreshing take. Like nobody on the other side that they call to is like, it's horrible here. Let me inhabit your body. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it is. It's very, everybody's like, it's all good. You guys should move on. Stop coming to the seance thing. Yeah. Um, which maybe should be a clue to these doubters that whoever's running this seance, yeah, he's letting people talk to their dead loved ones, but he's also encouraging them not to come back to another seance. So, like, it seems like if he was a shyster, that wouldn't be his play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he seems legit because he's not doing it for the money. He's like, no, you need to <laughs> stop coming. So um, so when the wife's telling the story, then the the boss is just, you know, he's absolutely like Grant, or, um, Alex said, he's, he's very skeptical. I mean, as... You know, let's be real, most people in real life would be. But we have to, like Graham said, assume that supernatural forces are at play here. So so the boss here is like, no, it's absolutely ridiculous. I'm going to prove it. And so <clears throat> they actually come up with a pretty genius way to, to prove it. And the plan is, is so the boss is also at the house with his wife. So he's, his suggestion is the boss, the accountant, which is empl- his employee, and the accountant's wife go to the seance and then they leave the boss's wife at home so the three of them are going to go to the seance one of them stays home and their plan is is we're going to tell the the psychic we're going to say raise the spirit of my dead wife who's alive and at that house and so then they say if he calls the dead wife and she responds they're going to know he's you know they're lying because she's alive and well and in the house and so they go to the like they all agree that's a good plan so they go to the psychic and then the psychic, uh, they tell the psychic they want to raise this the boss's wife. And so he said, sure. And then they go ahead. He goes on with the seance, with, you know, the whole procedure and does eventually communicate with the wife. 
And so at that point, you know, they're all assuming, well, obviously the psychic's a fake because we know that the wife's not dead. <clears throat> or else how, you know, because if, if, you can only, you know, raise the spirits of the dead. It's not like telepathy where you can just talk to someone far away. It's like, no, they have to be dead. So when they start talking to the wife, they immediately assume he's a fraud. And then, you know, the, the boss just thinks he's, you know, you know, he's on top of the world. He's even laughing, like, see how ridiculous this is. And then, of course, since it's a horror anthology, you, you can assume that, uh, you know, as soon as they start talking with the wife, you know, you'd be like, well, <laughs> let's go back to the house, which we do in the last panel, and we find the wife dead. And I just thought that that was yeah. such a good, like, twist ending, because even though it was, you can see it coming from a mile away, it still is, is such a, you know, interesting trope that, again, like, a lot of these comics have been repeated in other media, and this is... It definitely something that you know John Carpenter, you know the the greats of the horror genre, eventually saw and were like, yes, let's you know this is my inspiration. So, I think this is a really cool one because it has the it has the psychic kind of. It's not just that the psychic is like calling to dead people, like he's like shouting across a, the void to specific people. It's he has some sort of power where he can actually summon souls is is the implication here. And so what happens when he summons the soul of someone alive, he actually takes it out of their body. Um, mm-hmm. And which I, I think it's kind of a cool bit to the whole psychic thing. Yeah. Um, versus, you know, a psychic just being a, a medium, somebody who can, you know, you know, basically translate for you. Um, instead, the psychic has really like true power. Uh, I think it's kind of a cool twist. Yeah. And this one was... Unlimited power. <laughs> Itty be living space. Yeah. And and I just really like this. <laughs> I just really like this one because it fit well within the, the limited number of pages it had to work with. You know, it just... It was able to tell a story and it was short and sweet and to the point. Um, and then we move on to, I think, the one we all rank the lowest so i don't feel oh, bad yeah, disparaging it yeah i mean like voodoo, this is not very good <laughs> like voodoo death so i think probably i mean again this is 70 years ago but i think by now everybody knows that voodoo dolls were never actually really a thing <laughs> like <clears throat> they they're just one of those things that people assumed like i don't know what happened with that because so voodoo is actually a religion and it is practiced in haiti but it's not spelled v-o-o-d-o-o it's um I think it's V-O-D-U-E maybe. I don't know. But it's like an actual religion with gods and and all that. And that they don't actually have voodoo dolls. And I think at some point somebody in the West just thought it would, you know, be funny or something. Like, this is a voodoo doll. They poke it and it supposedly causes pain to the person who um, the doll is made of. But, like, I don't think that's part of any religions. Like, I don't know how that happened, but... So this well, this whole this is definitely like like it's it's definitely trying to cash in on the idea that these are foreigners and foreign people clearly do things that are different <laughs> from us. I mean, it's it's this classic savages kind of nonsense. Yeah. And so like, and that's what annoys me so much about it is is there's not a lot of horror here. It's just you know banking on the fact that whoever's reading this is going to have some base level of xenophobia, and as long as they have that. <laughs> then this is a scary story. But if you don't, there's nothing here. <laughs> yeah. It's just not, it's not a scary story. Mm. I mean, the, the only creepy thing is, is that there's this doll that uh, keeps coming back. He, you know, he throw cause this is the fifties and airplane tickets are probably $8 billion. 
So they're taking a boat back from Haiti and they throw uh throw it off the throw it out the window and then it comes back. And then I mean, I'll just I'll just recap real quick. So I really I mean there's really not much to it other than a recap because like Graham said it's not scary. So these people go to Haiti um and not to you know do anything like serious with their travel, but they just go to like you know spy on these you know these voodoo rituals or these Haitian voodoo rituals. So then they go. And, and I think that's interesting too, is it never explains why the guys are there. They're yeah. just hiding in the bushes, <laughs> watching people perform yeah. their religious ceremonies. Yeah. Right. As far as we know, it's a religious ceremony and these guys are hiding in the bushes and then whispering to each other, Shh, don't say anything. They'll kill us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's just like, again, like assuming, <laughs> you know, just like the whole savages thing. It's just, it's just assuming that just because there's like, I mean, they're, chanting and lighting a fire in the woods but you know they just assume that because they come across this ritual that you know if anybody sees them they're gonna die um so they're in haiti and they come across this ritual where they do raise somebody from the dead with a doll and you know that scares the crap out of them so in their attempts to escape they make a bunch of noise and get discovered and so there's two guys and, and one of them gets taken by the uh, the people practicing their religion so they get he gets taken by the the locals and you know the other guy just runs because he doesn't care about his friend apparently just, just runs all the way back to wherever they're staying and just doesn't give a crap and so then the the guy jay who was supposedly taken by the locals returns and so we think everything's all well and good and one of the other so there's Jay is the one who was taken. I don't know if the one who wasn't taken. Oh, Bill. So Bill it goes back to his room on the boat on the way back from Haiti, and they just, he discovers another doll there, which, again, voodoo dolls are not a thing, but for the sake of this comic, it's a voodoo doll. And um, so he's scared because this is like the doll that they saw the locals use to raise the dead. So he gets scared and throws it out the window into the ocean. And then, of course, because it's a horror comic, he gets back home, and on his doorstep is a package, and even before he opens it, we can guess what's in there. It's the doll right, again. Of course, it's the doll. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so he throws it in the fire and thinks it's gone, and um, and then Jay comes to visit him at his apartment. And, uh, well, it sounds like he and Jay are roommates. Yeah, so, they're either so Jay roommates is or neighbors, because... Yeah, he just opens up a door because Bill's like, you know, because Jay's like, Bill, I heard you, you know, screaming or whatever. So he's at least like close by to hear him. So they're either roommates or. Um, well, I think the crypt, the crypt keeper tells us that like kind of in the middle of the story, he mentions that they're roommates. Oh, okay. yeah. Um, yeah. Um, OK, so, yeah, so he throws it in their joint fireplace and, you know, assumes it's gone. But again, he goes to check. Then Jay goes to check the fireplace to make sure the doll's burning, but it's not, of course, because it's a well, horror it's, comic. Well, it's not only then... not it's only not burning, but it like it's also got back onto his bed, didn't it? Well, it's just like, like it's, it, it's, it's like escaped. We, we we know it's not in the fireplace, mm-hmm. yeah. so we don't we don't really know where it is, but it's gone. Yeah. And so then they're talking, and then uh, <laughs> then the doll like jumps out of nowhere and starts attacking them, and uh, <laughs> and um, so then eventually bill just has had enough of this like it so he grabs it because it's just a doll trying to stab him with a little needle so he grabs it and rips its head off and tears it to shreds and to his surprise there's a heart in um 
a human heart in the doll, and then they. Uh, well, yeah, and well, well, first, first, what Jay or uh, I don't know who's who, but Jay um, is the guy who supposedly died, and Bill is the yeah. So, so yeah, Jay confesses him, himself. He says, "I di- I died." I'm, and by the way, I'm dead. The natives brought me back. I'm a zombie. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so Bill is so confused all this time, and he's like, oh, and by the way, look up. And then, of course, the doll stabs <laughs> yep. him with his poison needle, yep. which is just like, it's, it's a lot of revelations all at once. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm dead. Also, the doll's still alive. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. I just looked it up. He's like, yes, and soon you'll die, too. Look above you, Bill. And then the doll attacks him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, yeah so and then, then... <laughs> and then whatever Bill is like, well, ouch, that hurt really bad, but I don't think I'm going to die. Wait a minute. Maybe I am. And, he, and Jay's like, yeah, I told you that like four panels ago. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the needle's poisoned. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Now, and he's okay. like, bullshit. The needle's not poisoned, even though I'm feeling the effects of the poison. I'll prove it to you. And he tears apart the doll and inside there's a human heart. It's just like uh, there's so much of this doesn't make any sense. So I I I was gonna point something out earlier, and now that I'm looking at it, what I was gonna say sounds really stupid. Um, but when you first look at the panel where like he clearly has a scar in his chest, I was gonna ask you if you guys thought there was any kind of uh, symbolism to it looking like a cross. But then I now see like where it's like his pec muscle is is like the bottom part of the scar, so it looks just like not across so never mind but i just thought i thought like to me i was gonna be like ah wait a minute is there any kind of symbolism here but no it's 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 just yeah it's not i mean across. it's always possible it's that, that there's symbolism there but but I, I don't i don't think it is i think it's just it's a capital that, that's how they figured that's how the natives would have cut them open yeah um, i do like they that we do we get the classic crypt keeper stuff of every time the uh, that we finish these stories our narrator, whoever it is, whether it's the Crypt Keeper or in this one, there's also the Witch. Yeah, there's, um, the, there's the Vault. But, there's a Vault dude. I can't remember what his name is. There's a Crypt Keeper Vault yeah. guy and then the, the Witch. He just But they always it. finish off with, with, with a bunch of beautiful puns. Yeah, wasn't yeah. that heartrending? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this one was... Um, I mean, there could have... If they would have done some things differently and then not try to make you scared of the voodoo religion and, you know native haitians i think it could have been better i mean i think you know having taking out someone's heart to like power a killer doll i think there's some i think there's some horror gold there i just don't think the execution was was all too good so yeah i mean yeah yeah so we kind (laughs) of concluded the uh you know talking about the individual stories so as a whole i mean of course i saved the artwork i kind of sprinkled little bits in there but so like i said in in kind of like my introduction the the comics code authority which we did talk about on this podcast at at various points but and the comics code authority lasted for a long time i i I think they were still using it in like at least the 90s if i'm not mistaken like i can't remember the the 90s the 90s is finally when it went away yeah um so this thing was a long uh, yeah it, it lasted a long time and it really had a profound impact on comics i mean there were like some really weird things like it wasn't even just about like violence like even like some of the stuff and like language and that like some of the 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 way you like had to portray like women in certain situations like was so strict and like it was very weird the comics code authority the stuff it dictated like it it survived like so 
I was going to say the Comic Code Authority actually uh, looks like 2010 was kind of like the end of what oh, they wow. did. Um, that yeah, they look looking at it right now. Um, 2000 advertisers no longer made the decision to advertise based on the appearance of the stamp. Most publishers, uh, new publishers at that time, did not join the CCA regardless of whether content conformed to the standards. In 01, they rejected an issue of Marvel Comics series X-Force, saying that they need to make changes. So Marvel's like, nope, that's, that's okay. And they just stopped yeah, they, submitting they, to the CCA. Yeah, yeah they, they said, we're outie. Which, I mean, that, that's the thing, is that we, we had these, like, Congress was starting to talk about, like, should we put regulations into effect? And so all of the comics publishers got together and said, let's regulate ourselves so that the government doesn't. Mm-hmm. January so, of 2011 and, was the last time they were active. And that's the benefit of the uh, that's the benefit of being self-regulated is that if the authority ever came after your books and you didn't care, you could just say, "Fine. We're not going to submit books to you anymore. Like we don't care. Mm-hmm. We just won't put the seal on the book." Um, yeah. And so it allowed a lot a lot of comics companies to just go like yeah we like technically we get our books approved but if they ever said one of our books wasn't approved we might just go yeah no thank you yeah <laughs> so i'm i'm looking at the the criteria for this um which was which was nuts to look at so like that you know they they break it down they've got like i don't know 12 13 different things that were like in order to meet to meet these requirements you or to be considered well, good before you do that you know, like so my question is yeah is, go for it um, does this like so this criteria does that mean like so like would would you even be able to put out like a mature level content if you said hey this is only for adults or is it like you just wouldn't get the seal then and then you like wouldn't be able to you, you probably yeah, wouldn't you... get the seal because one okay. of them was um, all scenes of horror excessive bloodshed gory or gruesome crimes depravity lust sadism masochism shall not be permitted Okay. So you probably yeah, just basi- did, yeah. didn't get the seal. Nudity was prohibited. Basically, <laughs> basically you wouldn't get the seal. And then the the, the yeah. CCA like really banked on the fact that retailers were going to put out books with the seal, and they wouldn't put out books without it. Yeah. And so. like it, it just never. There's never really been any concrete evidence that retailers adhered to that. Like I, I guess people would see the the seal and be like okay it's safe to put this on my newsstand but like comic shops were pretty much always like we're gonna stock comics and we don't really care if they have the little box on them i see so it's um, like uh yeah so, it's like we've got the stamp on our book so it's like and i think the idea that is that the comics code would be like you know only parents would trust the cca stamp and so like the, right. the idea well, it's, like it's kind of like wouldn't buy it if you didn't have it it's kind of like movie ratings or, or even even video game ratings where like like technically speaking Movies don't have to get rated. Mm-hmm. It's just in order to get into theaters, most theaters require you to have a rating, and so then you have to go get your movie rated. But you don't have to have a rating. See, like, you don't have to. You don't have to get your video games yeah. rated. You just. You know. And so for me, it's like I personally am fine with like having like a description of like, hey, this movie contains these elements. You probably, you know, because there's some fairly innocuous sounding like movie titles that are actually pretty horrible. So it's like I'm all for like you know, just having a, not like a, like a rating system that's like you know this movie or tv show contains these elements but uh you know 
it's just, it's just a slippery slope to where it becomes censorship, but it's just like warning people about a movie or TV show or comic even before they see it. I think it's a totally different story other than like you have to submit to our 12 criteria. Like that to me is crazy. I feel like, yeah, it's... I mean, you, well, and, and I get, I, you, you get why they created it, right? You know, it's, you know, they wanted, they wanted it to, you know, keep comics quote unquote respectable, but like mm-hmm. just, I mean, as comics have evolved, like their, their rules didn't. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, and that was what, what did it for them. Like their rules yeah. didn't evolve. They didn't change. They didn't update. And now they're, now they're being punished mm-hmm. by, you know, yeah, or, and, well, and like, now they're, now they're defunct, you know, like it's so, not, yeah, they're being punished. Say, so this, uh, so as the comic code authority relates to this comic, um, one of the, the, the most often cited reasons is, you know, Tales of the Crypt was like a comic book that really, you know, made some people mad. And the, the reason is, is the artwork. So, I mean, other than a, like that one eyeball hanging from a skull and there was like the face melting and the reflections of death. But other than that, I don't know. I don't, I don't think the artwork was that gruesome. Like, yeah, frankly, <laughs> I mean, some of it, sure. But the, uh, now I have seen, there's like one cover in particular that showed a decapitated head, um, and I I don't I don't I don't remember exactly which uh, which book it came from, but there's there's this decapitated head cover that gets referenced all the time when people are talking about the causes of the CCA, mm-hmm. and you can very easily go like yeah like that cover specifically is a little much, and it's a little much for you know newsstands who are ordering these magazines and these comic books really for kids and then this shows up and you're going like wow now as a as a guy who ordered these i gotta sell them because my newsstand doesn't make enough money that i can just box these up um but also this is a lot to be shown to kids <laughs> yeah this was i i think i found it and it's actually from this i think it's from the say oh suspense toys yeah it's uh yeah, crime suspense stories, which I think is from uh, the same people that did Tales from the Crypt. I can't remember, but um, yeah. So basically, the the uh, entertaining comics, which did a lot of the horror and crime stories, basically like pushed the envelope into the point of like making their own company defunct because like they were the ones that you know, push the envelope so much that the comics codes authority became a thing. And then, uh, you know, people were burning tales from the crypt and saying, don't buy it. And then they eventually just had to shut down. So it's like, they kind of did it to themselves, but I mean, I don't, I don't, they obviously didn't deserve I blame it. You, I think they did. Was that crazy? But you know, so what did you think? what did you guys think of the artwork though? Other than the shocking. I mean, I, I, I gave my bit on the artwork earlier, right? Yeah, I, did, I just, yeah. you said, I, yeah. I felt like, I felt like it was very descriptive with with the words and everything so i think that helped but i was artwork wasn't anything to write home about for me yeah yeah i I think it does a decent enough job we we get some of this shadow play which is kind of ups the suspense it does an okay job telling the story um i think that's my biggest issue is that the the like the last one the the voodoo one the art is kind of it, it looks more like an adventure story than a than a horror story and so when we get to the horror part of the book, it doesn't it doesn't sell any sort of suspense, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's 
it, it neither succeeds as a horror story or as an adventure story. Yeah. And so I think that's where it's at. But especially that seance one, I, I actually really like the art. Yeah. I, I don't think there's as much movement as some of the, like, especially the, the Jack Kirby stuff. I mean, Jack Kirby was a master of the, of, of movement, but uh, I mean, some of the stuff from that seance, like I love the, I love the, the candle lit faces. I think those look really cool. Um, yeah. I mean, overall, I think the art's okay. I think it's a, it's about like a, like a C, like a C plus. Yeah, yeah I agree. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think for the time, these books were probably very scary and, and terrifying. Uh, me personally, I think that ice cream man is, does a, a lot better job and not just because it's a modern comic, but I think that the way Ice Cream Man tells stories is better. Uh, Twilight Zone was good. Obviously, that's a TV show, not that. Um, but that one drew a lot of parallels to Tales from the Crypt. I, I like the Twilight Zone. I like all that. But I, I just think that you know I, I love what this comic did for comics moving forward. Um, but to me, it's just again nothing was that shocking or, or crazy. But again, it's because I didn't grow up in the '50s. I'm sure. Sure, this would have been pretty, pretty incredible the first time. But I just love the this genre in general. Um, like I said, the Ice Cream Man. I think it, it has a lot more interesting points that it makes um, in in its comics. So, yeah. I mean, overall, I would rate this one like Graham's. I think a C is is fine. Artwork and story. I think I think it did a lot of laid a lot of the groundwork. But it um, nope, it sucks. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, <laughs> I mean, I'm no, probably... I, I, I enjoy overall. I, I, I enjoyed it. I just, mm-hmm. again, I mean, you specifically talking the artwork, I, th- I think it left something to be desired, but overall I thought they did a really nice job with it. And again, like you mentioned for that time, it would have been very, mm-hmm. v- you know, we've become, I, I don't want to say desensitized to like scary comics and stuff, but like comics have evolved so much that now I just we're think just we kind of like a little bit more because like this, this exactly like these books were good but the, it's not enough just be like shocking like to show death anymore and, and that is obviously part of desensitizing but to me it's like now like i said before with like the ice cream man it's like now you have to be scary and like prove a good point like you have to have a good plot you know maybe there's well, like a lesson it's... in there it's got to be more than just like shocking couples shocking images because those aren't going to sell anymore well, I mean, you know, I, I think of, and and I know it's 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 one of my favorite comics, and you guys are going to yell at me. I can already hear the eyes rolls, but <laughs> you can hear it, huh? <laughs> I, I I can hear it. That's yeah. how that's how hard it is. But I I think you know you when when I mentioned desensitizing, what when Killing Joke came out, right? That was that was a, <laughs> and and I'm and I'm being serious here. You know, when Killing Joke came out, that was like a can they get away with that in a comic book? Well, that one even still, you know, versus, today. but, but that's what I'm saying, right? Is like, you're comparing the intensity, mm-hmm. you know, we, we look back on, back on all of them. Now killing joke is still like, whoa. Whereas this is kind of like, okay, like good story, but kind of, I kind of laugh at some of the stuff and mm-hmm. you know what they did with it. And it's again, that's part of the desensitizing because back then you're, you're absolutely right. They would have been, whoa, this is kind of crazy. And then you fast forward, you know, 50 years, and you've got Killing Joke, and you're like, what the actual hell mm-hmm. is this? So I, well, I think well, that's what years. I mean when I when I <laughs> mention, you know, the desensitizing, is comics have evolved so much. We de- Like you said, we demand so much more that mm-hmm. now... I, 
I don't know if, how much of it is that we demand more. I think the difference is the audience has changed. Whereas the the audience in the in the fifties and and especially before that was one hundred percent kids. This is this is we we're writing these books for children. But then as those children aged into adults, well now there's an adult audience for comic books. And so as that adult audience for comic books expands and it becomes I don't know that it's ever been that accepted to have adult fans of comic books, but as it becomes more accepted for adult fans, you can go ahead and write comics that are meant for adults. Um, and so, you know, whereas before, like if you wrote if you wrote Killing Joke and marketed it specifically towards children, not only would it not sell well, you'd be run out of the country. Um, but but if, if there's a market there where you can market, you know, and you can sell comics directly to adults for adults, well, then the killing joke can exist and it can be provocative in that way. I just think it's it's you know natural that people who grew up with comic books are more accepting of reading them when they get older. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Yeah, so kind of to wrap it up before I uh, hand the mic over to Alex. Yeah, I just I. I'm probably going to read a couple more of these tales from the crypt just to get the history from them. But yeah, when, when you think about it, that the main audience would have been kids that does shed some light on why parents were so scared of them. Cause I just think if it was marketed for adults, then it would not have been shocking. So the fact that it was marketed for kids, I think is key to the comics code authority getting kind of published, but yeah, overall I'm, I'm very happy that, uh, the writers of this comic at least took that risk because if not then we wouldn't have uh the shows i grew up on in the um you know comics i plan to read more of now i want to find more horror comics so yeah that's uh that's all i've got on uh the topic um all right alex it's your turn the end yeah tell us what's going on uh we're, we're coming up here finishing our our theme of uh, golden age where are we going next we are going to the Silver Age. Silver Age. It's comic time in the city. Huh? Not bad, buddy. Not bad. Huh? Very nice. <laughs> yeah. We're now a singing podcast, folks. We're a musical. <laughs> we do it all. <laughs> so that's going to be our theme for the month of December. Just before Alex tells us what our first book is going to be, I'm going to remind our listeners, uh, next week uh, is actually the end of November. We didn't have another book we wanted to cover this month, so we're going to be taking a week off um, before we drop our uh, our next episode uh, starting in December. So our, our Silver Age comics are going to be coming in December, and we're going to start with Alex's first book. What's that book going to be? Uh, this week, or for the first week, we are doing Showcase number 4, uh, written by Bob Kanger and John Broom, artist Carmine Infantino, colorist Joe Kubert, this is, and I wanted to really get really historic with this one. This is universally regarded as the first Silver Age comic, um, kind of marking the beginning of the Silver Age. It's the first appearance of The Flash number two, Iris West, the wife of The Flash, and Turtle Man. It's This comic features Mystery of the Human Thunderbolt and The Man Who Broke the Time Barrier. Really excited to get into this one. Yeah, there and you I, go. Uh, I took a look at the well, cover we, real quick, and I see the Comics Code Authority, so I know I can read it. That's right. You can you can run that past your mom and show it when you read it. <laughs> that's nice of her. Yep. Sure, Stephen, you can read this one. Yes. 
I knew it. <laughs> but All yeah, right. so that's well, that's we're... what we're gonna dive into, and I'm I'm really pumped for this one. Um, this this is gonna be a good one, and I hope that you guys actually really enjoy this one. I'm gonna hate it. Well, you know yeah. what? Just shut up. Just to spite you, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to read it with such such anger and bitterness. Seems pretty rude, but whatever, Stephen. That's right. <laughs> well, in any case, um, yeah, we hope you join us uh, next month. So join us in a couple of weeks. Uh, check out our first comic from the Silver Age, uh, showcase issue number four. And uh, we hope you're there with us to talk some Flash uh, we hope you enjoyed talking some horror anthologies this week. Uh, we hope you said horror anthology a few times just to see how it rolls off the tongue. <laughs> it rolls off mine rather clumsily. Uh, <laughs> we time. hope that you <laughs> we hope that you awake from your dream of death only to find that it wasn't a dream at all. Uh, we hope that you, I don't know, try and find out a psychic as he's hosting a seance. And uh, maybe he also has a couple of voodoo dolls. Then you could use Steven's little history there to tell him how those voodoo dolls aren't really real. Uh, we hope that you, uh, I don't know. Uh, what else could you do? You could maybe become part of the golden age. I don't know, guys. We hope that you have a lovely Thanksgiving. We hope that you go to your local comic shop. We hope you approach the counter and tell the person at the counter, make my paperback. We'll see you next week. 